huge potential for millions of people. Our therapy enables the brain to repair itself. We call it the cure. I want you to start testing on chimps ASAP. We test one subject. I want to make sure it's stable. I designed the 112 for repair, but Caesar's gone way beyond that. Increased intelligence. Skills that far exceed that of a human counterpart. This is wrong, Will. It works. And what about Caesar? Where does he fit in? That chimp's company property. He hasn't spent any time with other chimps. They're not people, you know. Are you trying to control things that are not meant to be controlled? They are contaminated. Put those apes down. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Rodman, played by James Franco, a scientist in San Francisco, is experiencing experimenting with a drug that he hopes will cure his father's Alzheimer's disease. His father's played by John Lithgow. After his work is deemed a failure, Will becomes the guardian of Caesar, an infant chimp who was exposed to utero to Will's drug. Caesar displays unusual intelligence, and Will decides to continue his experiments secretly. But as Caesar's intellect and abilities grow, he comes to represent a threat to man's dominion over Earth. Welcome to the Logical Podcast, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts and pop culture experts. We dive deep into the world of cinema, embark on an exciting journey through the latest blockbusters, hidden gems, and timeless classics. Uh, my name is River, the inventor and starter starter of the podcast, Logical Podcast. We're now coming into almost our third year of the podcast. And joining me today is a second time onto the podcast guest, Rick Annecy. Did I pronounce the last name correctly? That's it. Anise is good. I like Anise, Anise but thank you. 
<laughs> I think I actually said that last time, like you're on the episode. I was like, how do you pronounce it? And yeah, yes, that's okay. cool. Rick and these um, film enthusiasts. Is that how you would describe yourself as a film uh, person? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Very much a, um, a buff. And oh, congratulations on getting into three years, mate. That's pretty good. Well, that- almost, almost. We should probably almost. do a three year anniversary. I don't know how we'll do that to celebrate with uh, listeners. We can like play some happy music for them in the beginning of a random three year anniversary episode. <laughs> or you, you could just, just do cute fur babies like we just saw in the, uh, the intro there. Well, oh, yeah, the freeze frame of cute it. Little <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. How yeah. cute is that? Talk yeah, about kind of cute. Yeah, the, kind of cute. The, the carnage that would come like later, and by carnage, I don't mean Woody Harrelson like on a bad day, like in the uh, the actual <laughs> finale of the movie, right? Because that you know, he was. I mean, as I don't know what sort of military background he sort of like had, but it was kind of like car- carnage, full on valiumed up to the the eyeballs and that. But that that was great. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. I mean, this um like. This movie is interesting, right? So, so just um, just so we do a proper introduction to the episode itself. This is episode seventy-eight. Did I get that right? Yeah, wow. episode seventy-eight. There's a lot of episodes. Gonna have to do something special for episode one hundred. Um, maybe revisit the Dark Knight. <laughs> but um, this is episode seventy-eight. We're reviewing and recapping Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, this movie came out in 2011, directed by Rupert Wyatt, and written by a guy called Rick Jaffa, uh, Amanda Silver, and Pierre Bouly, 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 something like that. Uh, this movie stars James Franco, Andy Serkis, Freda Pinto, Karen Conoval, Terry mm-hmm. Notary, Richard Writings, Writings, yeah, it's probably Writings, Christopher Gordon, and Devin Dalton, with a runtime of one hour and 45 minutes. That's kind of surprising. I didn't think this movie was an hour and 45 minutes. I thought it was at least two, and a, 220. I, like, I thought it was longer. Like. Yeah. It feels yeah. like it's like I two hours it and 220. Um, yeah. And I think that's not a good thing either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, but it uh, look it it, it it kind of felt longer. But you you were referring to Pierre Boyle's um, original book, weren't you? Uh oh, as the writer, Planet yeah, the yeah, 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 absolutely. That's probably why he's got the writing credit. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Wait, but how how yeah. does he have writing credits? Like, do you know any like do you know much about the Planet of the Apes uh, series and as the as books? Yeah, the book was written. Um, I mean, well before the the seventies movies, but. In his novel, though, uh, the astronauts traveled to a, a different planet. A little Which is the first they, Planet of the Apes movie, right? That came out in the 60s exactly, or wherever it was. Ex- kind of, ex- yeah, sort of. It, there was a little bit of a change um, and uh, a bit of an adapted story with that. But after returning to Earth, um, he lands in Paris, Paris Airport, and gets picked up by a taxi driver who is actually an ape. Oh. So... Yeah, is right. that the beginning and of the story? The whole... No, that's actually the end of the book. Oh, because okay. after visiting, oh, that's a spoiler. Uh, I was going to read the book. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no. Okay, no, well, no, you... I don't think I was going to read the book. <laughs> I know that you <laughs> you're having me on. <laughs> um, yeah, he he come after. It's the whole time loop pretzel storytelling. Like you can do so much with you know time travel and and doing a reset. 
But he, disca- he lands on a planet that is basically inhabited by apes and quite an advanced civilization, then comes back finding that Earth has also been taken over as well by apes. So, And I have to say the Tim Burton um, adaptation is quite kind of like accurate to that because at the end he f- is actually met by police officers who are actually simian. I actually forgot about that Tim Burton version. Yeah. Wait, sorry, uh, no. Did I forget about that Tim Burton? That's the, the Tim Burton version remember he, with uh, Mark Wahlberg? Is that the Tim Burton version? That, yes, right, yeah, okay. absolutely, yes. Okay, yeah. so I, didn't re- I, I thought it was a different version with Mark Wahlberg. And we're familiar with um, the statue of uh, Abraham Lincoln, right, in the US. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it is also simian. That's the first thing that he comes across. And then the police uh, arrive right. and they're all apes. So, mm. but it, so that was kind of faithful. I, I kind of like, okay, gave him a tick for that. That was pretty good. But yeah. I, well, I still, yep. Yeah, the Tim Burton movie that you can't really put that in any chronological order with this one because it's a standalone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit into anything. Right on. Yeah. Well, the, the reason why I said something about that before was because, um, when you mentioned the writer Pierre Boulet, if that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. his last name, um, I, I was thinking, it, did he have a story that is this movie that we're reviewing today, which is a prequel um, to that classic Planet of the Apes story? Or is this like fully... No, no. He didn't. So why does he get no. writing credits for this? Is, maybe he gets writing credits because of the characters, I'd imagine? Uh, no, I think it, it's mainly because of... Uh, his influence and I think this guy was influenced by George Orwell heavily because Mm. there are a few quotes um, in the movies that are actually borrowed from the book Um, and I mean ignorance is strength was one that I that that stands out and also um, uh, from Animal Farm um, not all apes are created equal oh right which is also a line from Animal Farm as well okay yeah, Charlton Heston in the mm-hmm. original movie says it. It wasn't in this actual movie, but that that's the how heavily influenced this book actually was and how okay. Pierre was. All right, so, that makes sense that he gets credit for this. Yeah. Like, um, I, I always oh. thought that like writers that get credit as a writer in a film is because they have written something to do with the film, but it doesn't sound like it because um, like he doesn't have a prequel story, right? He only here he has those Planet of the Apes stories moving forward, nothing before that. So I'd imagine like Rick Jaffer and Amanda Silver and I guess Rupert, uh, Rupert Wyatt, but mainly the writers here, they would have taken a lot of liberty to create a prequel story, which I think is kind of cool. Like I really, really enjoy this movie. Um, oh, yeah. Like the the runtime is not an indicator. Like it's not a good reflection on um, whether this movie is paced very well. I think there's a lot of story in this. And it feels like the movie is way longer than its actual runtime. So I'm kind of surprised by that. This is uh, the Tim Burton movie? Or no, this is this one. Rise, yeah, this one that we're reviewing Rise. today. Oh, yeah. It's like one hour and 45. Okay. So I'm kind of surprised by that. Um, and it had a pretty pretty small budget for what they accomplished, I think, with $93 million. And it raked in $481.8 million. So it's a roaring success. And no wonder why they turned it into a whole franchise sure oh look but if you look at the original movies and this is probably well you know when comparing centuries in production the 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 differences with this movie okay you've quoted that that number the original movies in the 70s i think the budget was about 5.8 million 
significantly less. Mm. And unfortunately, the subsequent movies in the series, the budgets actually got less and less, which was a shame. And you can actually see it. By the time that the last movie was actually um, rolled out, Mm. the the, the apes looked like they were wearing masks. It looked really bad. It was like... um, like the the last breath of a dying series, it was such a shame. Right, that, that was the difference. But um, the first three movies were um, critically acclaimed, though I've got to say. So mm. yeah, do yourself a favor and have a look at them again. Ah, so the movie, but, so um, the first Planet of the Apes movie came out in nineteen sixty eight. Who was it directed by? Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, Franklin uh, J. Schaffner. Okay, I've never Schaffner, heard of him. Yeah. Um, look, this is the time when uh, look we're living in an era of like Irwin Allen was mm. just emerging and he was like big budget productions like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Towering Inferno, Poseidon oh. Adventure. Oh. Um, and everything wow. was very staged. Um, so this movie was was filmed um, very cleverly though, outdoors, really hypnotic um, intro mm-hmm. with a spaceship crashing, um, yeah. almost um, kind of like euphoric as well. It was just all over the place. You felt incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but the music score was uh, actually composed by Jerry Goldsmith. It was one of his first um, uh, movies that he Jerry actually Goldsmith, did, yeah. and it was it was jarring, like jarring. Jerry Goldsmith did some. It's a it's a great later. score. So I actually I actually watched. Um, yeah, I didn't watch the whole film, but um, directly after watching Rise of the Planet of the Apes for this episode, I did jump in and watch the original um, nineteen sixty eight uh, Planet of the Apes, and I watched up until oh, probably. Um, right up until he gets captured, like he gets shot. It's like a really weird shotgun, like yes. wound on his neck. neck. And I'm like, how is he not right. dead? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> like he totally would have died from the jugular. Like that much, right? It was but supposed to be like a his vocal cords. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, not yeah. a vocal cords. So That's right. I watched up until the point where he gets captured after getting shot and gets put mm-hmm. onto the hospital bed or whatever. And even in that point, I think we're a good. I don't know, like it felt like 40 minutes already into the film and he still hadn't yes. seen who had, who, what species had taken over this planet up until that point. Yeah. Like yeah, he, you're right, actually. You're right? Yeah. Like he doesn't yeah. even see yeah. the apes like coming in on the horses. Like they're all kind of running away and he's kind of oblivious to as to who is running after them because like the, his indication of running away and being scared is coming from the reaction of the local, like, um, I don't know, like the first inhabitants of human beings or something. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? it was like a scene out of the first Frankenstein movie. I mean, the villages, everybody was just running and scattering. It was yeah. frantic. Yeah. And Jerry Goldsmith's musical score His was score like, great. You could, you could, it was terrorizing. Like, yeah. and it was jarring as well. And it, it, it came at you sideways. I mean, we hadn't heard um, uh, melodies like that before. It was, it was quite this fantastical. But it added to Charlton Heston, and this is what I liked about his acting. I don't particularly like Charlton Heston as an actor anyway. Mm. I focus on his yellow teeth and the fact that they're all crooked and I, his hair loss and whatever. Not the ideal leading man as far as I'm concerned. Right. But anyway, he's more biblical sort of, and that's what he was doing up until this point. Ah, okay. But uh, he, I actually felt his sense of terror and pain. It was, it was real in this. Mm-hmm. It, it was very real. Yeah, and the and the difference between also like Rise Rise of the Planet of the Apes was the perfect reintroduction after 
the Planet of the Apes. Let's let's okay. It was a seventies remake, Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton. Okay, it reset. Um, nothing happened for the ten years after. Tim Burton really. I look. I'm not going to blame him for for creating something that was so ordinary and so unremarkable that nothing occurred later for ten years. But Rise reset everything, and 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 each of the the, the budgets grew. The the CGI grew fantastically. Um, Andy Serkis, in acting as Caesar, should have been given Oscars for his performance. Oh, I mean, like that's the and, whole like uh, age old debate at the moment. Like since these movies came out, and especially when he did King Kong prior to this, right? He did King Kong in two thousand five. Yes. Um, it's it's it, that was kind of the start of everybody talking about how mocap performers need to be honored and respected by the industry um in virtue of like uh oscar awards right so it's always been in talks and i I think since the apes movies came out it became even more of a thing they're like you need to start like honoring mocap performers but then it's also the stunt the stunt people or stunt performers conversation as well they've always been in that mix too where stunt performers should Mm -hmm. really be given the credit for the amazing work that they do, they do all the heavy lifting when it comes to super intense, very dangerous action sequences, and they never get recognized by the Academy. So Quite true. But this was before AI was even ever mentioned. We weren't even talking about AI at this stage and actors and being rewarded appropriately with you know the, the correct remuneration mm-hmm. um, later. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the series of movies, this became less about real actors and more about cgi so this was it like a bit of a, an emerging sort of like story that was happening in the industry at the time and we know what happened later everything was just shut down so yeah yeah it's, it's yeah it's pretty impressive so i'm, I'm kind of glad that i did get to watch a little bit of the 1968 version because i kind of appreciated it a lot more watching this i didn't finish it just because it got pretty late like i watched rise of plenty apes at like 10 30 and then finished around about 12 or something like that and then i quickly jumped into planet of the apes i was like i just want a little bit of a peek to see what it was and i watched a good maybe 50 minutes of the movie and i was like wow this is kind of cool so i want to finish it off like maybe later tonight great how did you feel about the actual prosthesis and the masks pretty damn impressive given that pretty 68 right yeah and do you know where that the the prosthesis and the the actual study for the mask actually came from the actual uh, oh. designer for makeup actually learned this skill from uh, World War II uh, uh, veterans who were disfigured in war. And the prosthesis, were, the technique was actually made for them to regain a sense of like a normal appearance. That's oh. how far back it was. And he actually went to uh, his local zoos to actually study facial behaviours of apes um, for uh, <laughs> chimpanzee and apes, simians, yeah, just across wow. the board. So he actually could get the movements um, of the facial structure correct. Mm-hmm. And you could see that with Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell. Not only could they project with their eyes, um, they could move their mouths and it, with their standing. The only probably actor that I could say that did the same was Tim Roth later in the Tim Burton movie. Mm. He was brilliant in that. Oh, he man. was absolutely brilliant. I totally forgot he was in that movie. So, Rewatch it again. Tim was, um, I, th- I think his performance, it was underrated. His stance, his 
body, his, the entire motion um, of him uh, projecting uh, an ape was incredibly, incredibly uh, impressive. Have a look at it again. All right, I'll definitely check it out. Have, have I mean, a he's a great actor. I, right. I like Tim Roth. I like him a lot. Yes, I didn't. Wasn't so happy with him in the Hulk later. Like, yeah, we don't really count the Hulk. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, his performances in other films, like Reservoir Dogs, I love him in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, absolutely. And look, mm. the guy started out as a singer, doing songs with American accents, so he's got a pretty good range. Mm. So. I've um, got to give him credit for that. Tons so, um, yeah, very impressive. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more um, of, of him. And, look, he was alongside someone as almost invisible as Mark Wahlberg in that moment. I don't think Mark was the best choice. Mark plays <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have seen Tom Hardy in that instead. Sure. In that role, maybe, at the time. Mm. I think, like, he was a very young actor. I think he could have done a, a, a better job with that um but you know that's in the in the past now and it's in uh, the past <laughs> yeah and now we're in the um, future helena bottom carter get true look helena bottom carter also came along for the ride and i think she was probably still enamored with uh, tim burton at the moment tim oh you know yeah has a strong relationship with tim burton yeah if johnny depp didn't jump out and was cast in, in a role maybe um it wouldn't have surprised me as mm. well because because they just come as like a holy trilogy, those. those I, th- three, I think Tim he could Burton have done well in the Apes and... movie, actually. Yeah, with Tim Burton at the helm, yeah, completely, yeah, yeah de- definitely. But um, let's go back to Rise. Okay. <laughs> the, right. Yeah, back to this movie of Rise of the Planet of um, the Apes. Uh, it was look, actually, yeah, go ahead. It should have been Surprise of the Planet of the Apes, considering Tim Burton's one was so ordinary, okay? Surprise, Surprise of the Planet of the Apes. Surprise. We can yeah, rename definitely. this. We can rename this one for the platform. Yeah, totally. Surprise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, it was good. Made lots of money. But can I say, James Franco? I'm. I, I don't look. Mm. James, I've got to go back to him and Spider Man. Okay. Um, <laughs> what to enjoy his, his acting chops? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, and all three characters, the main characters, that they're all so glum, and he was mm-hmm. kind of a bit like. Doing the same thing here. I yeah. didn't get much out of him. He was just—he was there for the looks. I think, yeah. if anything. Well, we um, definitely got to get into it because I, I want to get our first impressions and our first sort of uh, snapshot review of it, and then we can extend that review when we go to the recap. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, this movie was released in August fifth, two thousand and eleven. Um, I mm-hmm. saw it in the cinema. Did you see it in the cinema? I saw it in the cinema. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I remember seeing it in the cinema, and and this wasn't a subject matter that I was that into because I wasn't really into the Charles Heston film, and I think it was like a little bit too too old for my sort of liking at the time. Um, that's why I didn't really want to watch those Planet of the Apes films, but um, sure. I wanted to give it a go because people were saying that it was a very good film, and it's a nice little prequel story to the Planet of the Apes. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a chance. Saw it in cinema, really enjoyed it, and. After watching it last night, then the, the time that I watched it prior to last night might have been a couple of years ago, and I, and I had fond memories of enjoying this movie and the entire trilogy, for that matter. You know, War of the Planet of the Apes and what's the other one called? Attack of the Planet of the Apes? No. Or am I just mixing that um, title up with Attack of the Clones? <laughs> it's what, it's Rise, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and 
I mean, I have it in I have it in my list here. I, I was going to say it was Do- it was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the that. Planet of the Apes, and then War yeah. of the Planet of the Apes was the third one, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Definitely. And okay. And so, pending so fourth. The, well, the, the fourth. Day. Yeah, the fourth one comes out in June, I think, this year, and it's called. Mm, not much called? has been said about this. Well, there's a teaser trailer already out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually seen it surprisingly. Yeah, I saw the teaser trailer last night when I was doing research for the podcast. So, <laughs> um, but it, but it, but it looks very unfinished. Just just so you know. Um, so this movie has a Rotten Tomato score of eighty two percent from the critics and seventy seven percent from the audience. Which are you more inclined to agree with, eighty two or seventy seven, or none of those? Uh, look. I think it was probably the second best of the of the trilogy. For me, the third movie was just the best. Um, th- third movie, I'm look. Sorry, renaming it Planet of the Stallions. I'm going to call it because <laughs> just apes riding on the horses all over the place. Apes on horses in the snow. Yeah, Planet of the Stallions. Yeah, um, yeah, and they were. There was a lot of that, but it was it was great. This one, I'll I'll, I'll put this one in the. Um, the second best out of this this century's trilogy, yeah, absolutely. So seventy seven, uh, yeah, I just got a bit kind of like over James at the time. And look, the movie was brilliant. Okay, it was fantastic. Some nice surprises in this. Um, they were they were channel- channeling a couple of um, other movies that I, I thought were kind of like uh, very very exciting. There was a little bit of two thousand and one going uh, when all the, the apes were first together in the enclosure. Um, that was very two thousand and one, um, and there was a little bit of King Kong on the Golden Gate Bridge. I felt I thought that was fantastic. Um, that, those moments and the, the most stunning moment, I think, for me, the most exciting and the darkest part of this movie were when the apes were, just started to communicate together. That was kind of that was quite chilling, and I'm glad they captured that moment. I thought that was very, very clever, really clever. Yeah, not much said, but that was when it was all happening. Mm. I'm counting this as a, as a review as well. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> this sure. is kind of your little snapshot review. Um, so, sorry, no, no, no. This is fine. You don't need to be sorry. And this is like this is, this is what we do. We get carried away. If you get carried away, I get carried away all the time on this podcast. <laughs> Um, uh, and it's, uh, sometimes I need to like put a little on it. Sometimes I need to, ah, whatever, just let it roll. But, um, like, what else did you think about this movie? Like, um, talk about some of the best moments that you thought, um, were quite key. Some of the performances maybe, and then some weaknesses or anything that you think could have been a lot better in this film. Sure. Look, James was, um, uh, Look, it, it was all very altruistic, you know, looking for a, uh, a very a, a formulaic as well, looking for a cure for his dad, okay, which was, you know, just lovely, you know, and he was dating a, a very, very beautiful scientist uh, for five years and they're still not married. Um, I would have had something to say about that. There was no engagement ring or anything um, very traditional, a finger. <laughs> oh, yes, so much so, yeah. Um, Marriage is great. And look. You know, you, you drive around uh, the streets in full daylight with a monkey in your back suit, seat. No one says anything, and sure, yeah, little, there are a few little things were kind of, yeah, like 
the chimp looking out the window constantly and nobody else noticing that he had someone there. Oh, look, the other aspect about this movie, I felt like there was a little bit of 12 Monkeys in this as well. Uh, There were certain scenes which kind of... Could you feel that vibe? Yeah, yeah. Now that you brought it up, yeah, I can totally feel that vibe. Yeah. That's not a pun either. But that wouldn't even count. No, no, sorry. It's like monkeys, right? The monkeys are different to chimps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, but that I didn't didn't even occur to me. So thanks for pointing that out. But um, look, uh, as, as, some things were a bit formulaic. Um, like, do you, would you think that it, it's weird thinking that Brian Cox, the actor, was already going to be as the animal rescue guy was already the bad guy? Like you felt like he was going to be the bad guy straight away. Well, here's the thing. Like, did that? Here's the thing, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't want to like overshadow your review here a little bit, but I, I will say sure. that. I just noticed that I didn't mention him in the cast list that I mentioned before. <laughs> anyway, Brian Cox is in the movie, and he's kind of, he's a, he's he's a bit of a big deal. I think he's a great actor, and I think he was cast in the wrong role because he yes. should have had a bigger part in this role. Like, sorry, he should have had a I bigger agree with role you. in this movie. He probably he probably should have had the role of the scientist, like the head. Sorry, not the scientist, the head business guy, whatever his name is. Um, I think he should have had that role because it's more important to the story, yes. and I think he would have done a better job of performing it. So. To, yes. to get someone so talented as Brian Cox just to relegate him to such a nobody role, I was a bit disappointed by that. It, yeah, it was. Uh, look, uh, he he could have even played the dad. You know, I think he he might have been true. He could have played pretty the good dad with that too. Yeah, because i i would have I, I would have actually like related to him um, very much. So, um, is it his beard? They, is, they it stuck- beard? is that why? <laughs> I don't look. I'm not sure. Maybe daddy issues. I, I I'm not sure about this. But they stuck him with the guy who played Malfoy. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of. It did it like that. That that casting choice didn't make sense to me. Like Brian Cox oh. is a great actor, and then to put him alongside Malfoy just didn't make any sense to me. Like I understand yeah. the type of character that they were trying to do for Malfoy, and maybe he kind of what is what is his real name? It's like it's not Malfoy, but. We all know him as Malfoy. Let's just keep. Let's just call him Malfoy. But um, it's easy. Yeah, I can understand. It was it was continuous as his last character. Like they they took yeah. the mean guy. Yeah, they took they, the mean guy, the annoying guy, the guy that like you would hate immediately and whatever. And I guess they achieved that with this film. But Brian Cox is such a charming guy. He's he's way more sort of like classy than the kind of role that, that he played. And that role just didn't really like, you can see that he's trying to be a bit, uh, a bit of a Sergeant light figure, but he's, he's, I don't know. Brian Cox has this kind of charming side to him that was coming through the cracks and it, and it wasn't really quite mm. putting his foot down to be like a totalitarian that maybe he was supposed to be for this like enclosure. Cause, cause Malfoy's character, mm. he's more like, trying to be that enforcer, trying to be that totalitarian type of enforcer, but he just doesn't have the same power as obviously Brian Cox. But um, it, it's just weird. It's, it's a weird, weird partnership. It, it, it was. And I, I feel as though with Brian, um, he wasn't truly invested in the part because uh, unless it, he was framed incorrectly, he wasn't given the motivation that he needed. To play, maybe it was the filming sequence uh, that that's right. Yeah, didn't help him. In he he wasn't yeah. given much so, as a character to do. Like he like he could have not been in the movie and you wouldn't notice. Like there would, would be yeah, no change to the story. 
there's there's one line that was used in uh, the zoo sequence there in the enclosure, and it was the Malfoy character as well. Um, in the previous two movies, um, even in the Tim Burton one, there was a variation on it, but Charlton Heston also did this, uh, something similar, and it's also referenced in the book. It was in this movie, um, get your stinking hands off me, you filthy... I monkey? I don't know if you said... I think he says monkey. Monkey, yeah. might have been, yeah. yeah. And f- for me, straight away, I, I thought he's going to say mudblood at the end. Mudblood? You know, and he didn't... Yeah. yeah. What's, <laughs> That's uh, how, like, I, I just... Out of... Harry Potter? Oh, okay, okay. The Bloods, yeah. I didn't get that and reference. That, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really I, that clued up on uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get the fans to chime in on this. But that's how I kind of felt like Malfoy. These two characters together, and even they weren't correctly chosen. And and I'll say the same thing about James Franco as well. I I didn't like the cutesy. It, it, it was a very young um, cast as well. So maybe apart from Brian. Mm. And the the dad and John Lithgow. So John Lithgow was great in this. Mm. Um, yeah, they're the I, only I, kind I of could, old characters in this, or old actors in this. His helplessness when he was slipping away um, and being so um, frail. And it was good, right? It was believable. It, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Um, and let's not overlook the fact that people leave unlocked Mustangs. In the street <laughs> with the keys. And hey, it's a safe neighborhood, well. man. Like, everybody trusts each other. That's the type of, type of neighborhoods where they leave their cars open, leave their front doors open, you know, have, oh, have yeah, freshly baked muffins on the tables sure. for strangers to walk in. You leave your windows open, your doors unlocked, and you have a chimp in the house too. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen there, right? Like, And you get screwed over by the local chimp, yeah. <laughs> and especially with the, um, the, the nasty neighbor who always – Turned up. He was always there, you know, giving them a. He was he was such an asshole. Like he was a good. He, 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 he was a good, like annoying, shitty neighbor. Actually, <laughs> um, and I look. I didn't feel sorry for him. Yeah. At the end, when he decided, and this is the twelve monkeys bit. Yeah. He planted the uh, seed in the virus to um, basically sprinkle it all around the world it was um i, I like that bit and then that's what i liked about the 12 monkeys aspect too mm. that was that moment that i make the comparison with that's right yeah well um it's my turn right <laughs> sure um so my little review on this is i i really enjoy this i really enjoy this movie um but there's something there's there's a few things holding me back from incredibly loving this movie. And prior to watching mm-hmm. it last night, um, I remember loving this movie a lot. But now that I've seen it after like a few years, revisiting it, it's a fresh pair of eyes, right? It's like fresh perspective. Um, I've got sure. more experience in seeing films these days, you know, especially doing podcasts. But um, I think it's a little bit of that, and I'm starting to see more of what could have drastically improved um you know starting with james franco's character i think like the first like 15 minutes i'm watching this film apart from the opening scene where we get that kind of um it's it's a bit of a setup of trying to build a little bit of sympathy for apes right um where the ape gets captured apart from that opening scene we meet james franco i just don't believe that he's a super smart intelligent scientist i just don't believe it like he's not pulling 
too many tricks out of the bag to try and be this like super brilliant scientist. Um, and maybe a little bit is the script that he was given, but if you put someone like who could pull off like a super intelligent scientist, like, you know, somebody with a British accent probably is a good place to start. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like the deliver his delivery is just not convincing to me that, oh yeah, I believe you're a scientist and that you pulled off this like incredible formula that changed human history for, for better or for worse, maybe for worse, I guess. But um, there's, I don't know, there's, a, there's like a ton of other people that could have been in this role. Yeah, he felt odd. It was like uh, Matthew McConaughey playing a um, uh, a minister of religion. <laughs> in um, remember that he was with Jodie Foster, and they were meant to be in love. Oh, for, for reasons like yeah, like, like they were the dating sort of right. like yeah. What was the movie? Um, uh, I think about it in, in, in a second. He, he wasn't convincing in that role either. Same thing here, but I think the, it was layered with um, the fact that the CGI was kind of still in its uh, developmental stages for this, and the subsequent movies were exponentially so much better. Oh man, yeah, the you improvement might have overlooked was the rest. crazy. Actually, the improvement even from this to the second one was amazing, and that's that's just a true testament of Weta Digital. Weta Digital are just kings of their cross um and mm. um they're kind of undefeated i mean like they, they compete against industry light magic all the time but you know those two are kind of the apple samsung and i and i feel like i mean this is just my bias side saying is that where digital is like the apple in this scenario but pro- probably not um but i'm just biased because i'm a kiwi but sure yeah <laughs> coming back to james franco like I like James Franco as an actor, just not he just doesn't fit this role. You know, someone like um uh, why can't I think of actors that could fit this role? I was gonna say Tom Hardy, but maybe not Tom Hardy. <laughs> um uh, anyway, I, I can't think of an actor that that no. off the top of my head right now, but I'm just saying that James Franco I like him in other roles, you know. I, I think he's I think he's awesome in 127 hours. He's perfect for that role okay he really suits it. if you haven't seen that movie you should watch it but just have a strong stomach when you do watch it <laughs> so okay it's very... in the uh, milk um he played a very small role but and mm. it was more art house and i think that's what he he found attractive about it so, and look he was good in that but yeah limited as well i don't know it's kind of when he he looks into the camera i don't feel anything there i just see a, a young good-looking man and that's pretty much that's it. pretty much it yeah I, I'm, um, I'm surprised yeah. that they cast him in this role because it's a fairly big responsibility but yeah i mean it's it's probably what you've seen before he's a big big name actor at the time you know he's coming off of the heels of a uh, spider-man mm-hmm. trilogy i mean this is spider-man trilogy was like years be- yep. before this but um i can understand and he looked like a boy in that yeah he did he looked like he a boy he was pretty young he, he was incredibly young yeah, but you know, on top of that, like the other performances just weren't very convincing to me either. Like the scientist, sorry, not the scientist, but the the C- CEO of this company, um, Genesis. I, I I didn't, I couldn't believe his performance either. Like it was, it was quite weak in any of the lines that they delivered to each other. There, there was this one moment, right? And we'll get the, we'll get into this in the recap. There was this moment that really kind of set it all for me, where, um. James Franco's character ran 
Not well. He kind of you know ran out of ideas for a little bit, and there, there's quite a bit of time that has passed in the story. They do quite a lot of jump cuts, like time jumps in this movie, which I have a little bit of an issue with in the way they do the time jumps. Um, but they have this moment where he comes back to Genesis, and um, and the CEO is kind of like, "Oh no, nah, I've kind of had enough of your shit. Like, I'm not going to give you another chance." And he's he's trying to say that, "Oh no, I've got an answer because I've used it on my dad." And then he kind of turns around to him and he says, what do you mean you use it on dad? He said, it works. It works. And then immediately the CEO changes his mind. He changes his mind. He he goes from being like super hot-headed and really hates his guts. And he says, I'm not going to give him a chance at all. And with the flip of a dime, he just changes his mind. He says, all right, cool. I'm going to give you all the money you need. You just let me know and we'll get this started. It's like, wait, hold on. Is this bad scripting or is this bad directing or is this just all of it? Maybe it's all just bad scripting and directing. I don't understand that. It, it's Wall, Wall Street, right? Wall, Wall Street. It's kind of like it's greed mm. is good. Greed is you good. Know, good yeah. and, gecko and the CEO yeah. is kind of painted that way, but it just doesn't make any sense to me for his character to just do that because his character never really, his character never really did that prior to that moment. And because his, his character was always about, like profit money profit money but you have to he was always about like managing the risk and so this didn't seem mm. right for his character to just go all right cool let's sh- let's do that especially when he already said to him that we cannot take he's essentially saying we cannot use these anecdotal examples to convince a board of people right he said that yes. prior to this moment so it didn't make uh-huh. any sense for that scene to happen and for him to make that decision as character but then he eventually dies anyway. So like, it doesn't even matter in the end. But um, yeah, the, the, those kind of those kind of moments are an indicator of this movie just not having the strongest script between the characters. And I think the best performances mm. and the best character moments are between James Franco and his soon-to-be wife in the film, as well as mm. James Franco and his father. I think those moments are the best, and even the moments that he has with Caesar. Um, I think those are the best moments, but all the kind of like inside the lab and with the CEO, all these, all these scenes, they were just very, very weak scenes. Didn't really appreciate them. Could, could, could you feel a little bit of Terminator kind of in a lot of those moments in the lab? I mean, every time there's like a lab experiment and there's like a cure for something, I always think of Terminator because Terminator was kind of like the first, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like a disease or anything that happened in Terminator. It was more just AI that took over. But yep. But um, the visuals of Terminator. Um, anytime a director wants to do those types of scenes where those visuals look reminiscent of like the lab sequences or whatever in what's it called? Um, Skynet. <laughs> I just oh, Skynet, I always yeah. like I always travel back to Terminator, and Terminator Two is the goat action movie. That is the yes. goat action movie. I love that movie a lot. Yes. I don't have the same feeling with the other films though. <laughs> No, um, yeah, I think it was. This was geared towards a younger audience as well. Hence, why they came up with um, they cast uh, uh, the main characters as being very, very young and relatable in, in that respect to a younger audience. Um, you know, they were trying to basically reinvent uh, the whole genre again, and look, they were successful because it spawned another two movies with astronomical budgets. So, and it held our attention for up until this moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But James, yeah, could have been better. Could be better. Um, 
the the score isn't as impressive in this uh, compared to Planet of the Apes. The score is okay, no, but it doesn't hold no. a candle at all to the original Planet of the Apes. Um, and I, no, no. I can only appreciate that because I just saw it last night, or I saw part of it last night. It should have been a lot more dramatic, and it, it, there should have been a differentiation between the moments in the forest, in one of the rare sort of like moments we, we saw um, Caesar being taken into the forest for, for, their, for their walk and being acclimated to um, outdoors, and on the um, Golden Gate Bridge as well. And yeah. there was nothing. There was no tension built. No, there wasn't. It was a bit anticlimactic. I think the sequences itself look cool. They look very exciting. There's a lot of energy, but the score just didn't match that energy. Um, but yeah, but I mean, like the score wasn't annoying at all by any stretch of the imagination. I just thought the score was quite weak for what Rupert was trying to go for. Sure. But if you look at um, the 70s movies and this particular reboot, you're looking at uh, what was happening in society at that time. Now, at the time, we, we had a couple of um, you know instances of very high-profile uh, business issues to do with uh, high-profile high pharmacies doing some pretty shonky stuff. Okay, so that was that's how that kind of got blended. That was a little bit relatable. But the 70s movies, we were coming out of an era of, in 68, it was all about the environment. Um, it was flower power. Um, it was uh, innocence. And then it went into, oh, feminism was just becoming something of a force. And that was examined in the third movie with uh, the character Zira, um, and, and, which was brilliant. Uh, lots of socio-economic and socio-political issues, um, apart from Vietnam later. Um, both, all three movies were, 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 were heavily, heavily, uh, coated in, in what was happening at the time. It drew the audience in. In Rise? No. Not not a lot not a lot going on mm. not a lot going on like, yeah in, ter- so in terms of like what you're speaking about like the type of commentary very two dimensional yeah um, which hey but by the way I'm I'm okay with like people not mm-hmm. having like a lot of commentary with, like around like the current issues of the day um, if a movie can tell a great story with compelling characters that you can connect to it doesn't like, I don't give a shit what kind of, like, story that they're really making, like, w- whether there's commentary in it or not. I think some of the commentary stuff can really help certain stories and can help ground or anchor that kind of feeling sure. that you, you're a part of that world. But, I mean, I, I feel really a part of the world of, uh, let's say, um, Pulp Fiction. I feel just as a part of that world... Sure. As I am, yes. as I feel with like a Christopher Nolan movie, who's like the king of like um, anchoring and grounding films, right? Um, I feel just as involved, but but that's just a way of saying that these guys are great storytellers. You know, I, f- I feel very involved when I'm watching Shutter Island from Martin Scorsese. I think that's one of the greatest okay. thrillers ever made, and that's from Scorsese, mm-hmm. the guy that's like well known for. Gang movies, <laughs> you know, gang movies and, and, and highly dramatized like skits and stuff like that. And he's one of the greatest directors to ever ever live. Um, but yeah, like having co- certain commentary in films 
is fine so long as it serves the story well. And there's a lot of films that just don't serve the story well when they want to, they want to just like ram political commentary, especially into any of their films, and they just ruin it. They just end up ruining the film. Oh, look, sure, but it has to resonate. And and at that time, it was incredibly relatable as well. In that in that moment, I didn't really relate to something that, um, as in like Rise. Rise to me felt like it could have been made into a three part Netflix series oh, as well. Man. It wasn't. I couldn't that agree with you more on that. Um, yeah. And a lot of that is to do with the amount of times that they jump in the timeline. It's quite jarring. Yeah. Like you're, you're having to move the audience pretty quick through a timeline to speed up that process for you to get familiar with how do like the goal. And, and this is the thing is, is that it's hard to know what the goal of the film is by the time we get to the end. Right. Because you have yep. so much ground to cover. And remember at this point, they didn't really say that they're going to do a trilogy. They just said they're doing a prequel. But it's like, how do we get to Planet of the Apes from where you start and well, where we start in this film? And we start in this film before even Caesar, who's like the main guy, <laughs> right? He's not even born yet. Sure. And there's so much ground to cover. And I just don't think they did it as well as they should have done, right? If you're jumping and doing the time traveling thing, it's a lazy way for screenwriting, I think. It is a lazy way for screenwriting. And this just is to where, advance the story, let's just yeah. ignore everything yeah, else. Yeah, that's why there's we're so many holes forward. in the story. There's so many things where you're like, wait, I mm-hmm. wanted to know what happened here and I wanted to know what happened with like Caesar at this point. It's like, what's so significant about us getting to like three years after Caesar's born, five years after Caesar's born, whatever, and he's like eight years old or whatever it is. Um, there's not enough, like even when they do those points, there's no explanations as to why we even got to that point. There's a lot of key parts of the of the plot where they could have explained like a little bit of exposition through dialogue between the characters or even some storytelling that would have explained certain parts that would have been a lot better. Oh, you mean like after studying Bright Eyes for months, if not years, not knowing that she was pregnant? <laughs> yeah. Like like that, that was a key piece of really? information. Yeah. They kind of just threw it. I felt like it was like one of those writing moments, like inside the storyboard room where they're, they're piecing together the uh-huh. scenes. They're, they're storyboarding that particular sequence and they're kind of going, all right, um, but uh, how do we introduce Caesar? Oh, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, but, but she, but, but she died. Yeah. I will just say that she died because she was protecting. She was protecting Caesar. That's why. And, and how did, how did she manage to have a baby? Inside that lab without anybody knowing. That is crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. And why not just have a, like an unchained, untethered uh, chimp in the middle of a glass room and let him go crazy? Yeah, sure there's, some, there's definitely some like lazy Spend stuff. It up a bit. Some lazy writing in those opening sequences with, with uh, the chimp, with Bright Eyes just going crazy. Like, and yep. so much chaos happening. There's some very, very lazy mm. writing there. But we should get into that lazy writing. By getting into the recap, we're pretty far into this episode already. We have a lot to talk about in this in this sure. movie. But um, are you ready to get into the plot? Absolutely. All right, let's get into the plot.
right. So, um, we we actually start off like the opening scene with uh, meeting just a habitat of apes or chimps or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's a whole capture sequence with the, the, the. Do they tell us where we are? I can't remember. I don't think they tell us where we are, right? Uh, we know that somewhere um, in Africa. Um, but I don't know. What, oh, I can't uh, even remember if they say we're in Africa. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, we're yeah, in a we're in an undisclosed location, <laughs> mm-hmm. somewhere in uh, the continent of Africa, and there's this whole chase happening, right? Um, where there's a bunch of hunters chasing apes, mm-hmm. and they just capture one, and they use that one to then send to present day. Uh, San Francisco, Will Rodman, a scientist, had worked mm. at Genesis Laboratories for five years on Al, uh, ALZ-112, a genetically engineered retrovirus that could cure Alzheimer's disease. ALC, uh, ALZ-112 not only repairs brain cells, but genetically enhances them, giving chimpanzees a human level of intelligence. One of his test subjects is Bright Eyes. This is the um, aforementioned ape that we captured in the beginning of the film. It's a female chimpanzee that was recently captured from the West Africa jungle. Okay, cool. So the plot tells us that it's the West African jungle. I just don't think the film tells us that. I could be wrong, but I'm, I, saw it, I saw it last night, so I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that was no, That was their intro to... Uh, animal rights kind of like moment where you're feeling you know em- empathy and sympathy at the same time oh yeah with a, yeah, a baby sure. being captured like that yeah it's quite this distressing. Is true. it is distressing although i didn't think i i didn't feel that bad for the ape because i think the scene the scene wasn't directed in a way that made me feel nope. anything you're right it was pretty rushed okay. it was pretty rushed like the scene was pretty quick right um if they really wanted to establish that they should have had they i don't know they, they should have spent quite a bit of time in that world first you know mm. get to like introduce the apes for a, a little bit um get to know the environment a bit kind of like what they did with uh man of steel you know you, you know man yeah, of steel they do yeah. the whole introduction of krypton right and krypton is such a beautiful planet we spend quite a bit of time um so much to a point where you really want to see more of it, but this, the like the movie itself didn't wasn't designed for that purpose. Which is, I'm I'm totally okay with it. I don't have any problems not spending that much more time on Krypton, but we spent enough time on it to feel how natural it was, what the people were like, um, the kind of turmoil that they were going through. I think they could have done something like that with with uh, the apes here. Yeah, I can see that. And maybe it, it could have been intentional too because this was all about humans, okay? So the less that we saw about the apes kind of fitted the, the, the next emerging storylines and the next two subsequent movies because in the final movie, it was almost like Caesar was becoming... He was almost de-evolutionizing like into a human form and that was his weakness at the end as well so it was a possibility this was about the humans and then progressing into ape and then the apes turning into humans maybe it was a little bit of a poetic license in that i 
I'm not sure. I, I totally, are... totally. I think it was like very much designed so that um, we are on the side of humans. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it was very much intentional. But I, I like. The, I think the story would have been so much more deeper if we had we if we had built up this sense of care and. Um, sure, and it could have been primal as well. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have cared about that. I thought that would have been great. It could have been very raw and very basic, um, and that would have fitted in later with the fact that Caesar became his vulnerability was the fact that he became more human later. That's but this, right. Yeah. This could have been yeah. more raw. So because because that turn of events for us as audience members being so attached to certain characters, that turn can be worth it because you you build this relationship with the character that you just don't see the ending or you're not. You're predicting that the ending is going to be a certain way for that relationship, but then it turns yes. on you, which can yes. be a rewarding process. It can be a little bit cathartic, but yeah. anyway. Especially, especially that Caesar becomes more of a Moses or Jesus character later. I would have liked to have seen something embedded there, maybe not necessarily a religious connotation, but kind of maybe slightly not cultish. What am I trying to say? More... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, more about Cold-ish. his backstory, I guess. Um, the Lion King sort of like... Uh, start, you know? <laughs> like the Mufasa figure or something. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah, yeah. Kind sure. Of like yeah, I, I, I just would have appreciated for the scenes to be a little bit longer. Mm. Anyway, um, we... Yeah, so much to everyone's shock, Bright Eyes goes on a rampage two months into her trial before security mm. is forced to kill her in front of the board members thus ruining any chance of developing a ALZ-112 further. It is discovered, however, that Bright Eyes' aggression was not due to the drug, but due to the, her maternal instinct to protect her baby, to whom she had secretly given birth a day or two earlier. Okay, so this is conven- This is what we call plot convenience. Right? Uh-huh. Plot convenience is like she secretly gave birth in a highly secure lab with expert scientists walking around day and night i don't know <laughs> like they, they they probably had to you know rupert the director would have had to work with whatever runtime he was given i i get that i get that but i still think it's lazy uh, even with a runtime of one hour and 47 minutes they could have switched these sequences up a little bit and extended certain things maybe even the opening scene of this with with us meeting bright eyes at such a young age we could have may have had a time jump here where we are learning about bright eyes and bright eyes getting like nurturing or i don't know getting nurtured in the family of apes that she's a part of and then she eventually gets pregnant from another ape and then has has a baby and then has like caesar and then that's maybe how you start that opening scene Sure, I would have liked to have seen something maternal about that, and that would also explain why Caesar is the way that he is, um, hating all of mankind. Um, uh, but it was never sort of explained. There was no journey there whatsoever. Um, he just lost his mum, kind of like you know every Japanese anime always has like an orphan in it. Like, okay, there you go. But he wasn't necessarily depressed about it or wanting to sort of like find out it. Yeah, there was no, no, no. T- attachment to the mum aspect. There isn't, yeah. It, it, it should have been and, and broken. 
Yeah, kind of. I, I wasn't. Ex- I don't have an issue of that so much because he doesn't have any recollection, recollection or memory or attachment to the mum anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm okay with that. But the way that they handle that scene, it's uh, I I didn't buy it. It's like you're, okay, you're trying mm-hmm. to tell a story where we're supposed to connect or. Um, have that same feeling that Caesar should be feeling in these moments, but these moments are just not earned because Caesar, it's its kind of like a forced performance almost, right? It's like you're yeah. telling the character yeah. that you've lost a mum, but now I want you to act like you've lost a mum, but I don't believe it because we know that you don't have any connection to the mum. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, and you can kind of see that in that performance and, and the way the scene is written. It's not, it's written in an underdeveloped way that it just doesn't matter whether you have the scene or not because they don't actually come back to those moments ever. Like, let alone in this movie, but even in the trilogy, they never revisit that moment. It was like, oh, remember you had a mum, bright eyes? Like, yeah, true. <laughs> like, yeah. That doesn't matter. They, they, they could have written the scene where there is some kind of maternal connection with bright eyes and Caesar, and you could still have that moment of her getting injected with something, you know, while yes. like Caesar's in yes. the room or something, and then, and then Caesar's born like in the lab in a different way. Well, considering like this was the beginning of in the inception of what was going to be the end of all mankind, basically, um, I would have liked to have seen something more developmental about it and maybe just to dwell on that a little bit longer, but now they missed that. Uh, They just expedited the the story and and moved on very quickly. Because I think think the goal of the story was to say, hey, we need to introduce Caesar. And the way we're going to do it is... Mm we're going to do it this way with the mom and the mom has to die early. And then it's about Caesar just growing up through these ages of infancy and, um, prepubescent. I don't know, you know, and then we're going to, we're going to have to get to a point where Caesar has developed verbal communication, but in a very, Mm. very small way, they had Mm. to achieve that by the end of the film, but this film needed to be way longer than required. I mean, so it needed to be way longer than, than what it is which is an hour 47 minutes and the reason why it feels too long is because they're cramming so much story that they never touch back on these important points of the of the plot like they kind of leave them hanging and never yeah never come back to them yeah yeah there's there's moments of desperation and um uh, urgency like in i am legend with will smith in the lab scenes there wasn't a lot of that. We didn't do a lot of that. We just saw people in lab coats walking around, lots of glass. It was – God, the cleaners were brilliant in, in that place, um, incredibly sterile, but it, it just felt sterile as well in uh, in the emotion. So, yeah, yeah. I think those lab moments – Yeah, lots of misopportunity. Like these lab moments are definitely the most boring parts of the film, mm. and it definitely doesn't do anything to, to – to really move or not move uh, the plot does move this that's why we have to go back to these lab moments but yep. um they, they just feel hollow they're not very anchored these these scenes and like this like who's the scientist that gets um um infected what's his name i can't remember his name but you know that guy that gets yeah. infected that is- um by like the new strand or the new whatever development of alz 112 um even him as a character, like he's a, he, he's okay, but it, it would have been 
better if he had more scenes to do with uh, uh, like his chemistry and with uh, James Franco. I think those two as scientists, they could have been like that buddy scientist duo that could have mm-hmm. worked wonders for the story and for any of those tests to make more sense. But Do you feel the love interest was necessary for this? No. Cut that love yeah. interest out. Just yeah. focus on on how are you going to develop Caesar and how you're going to develop that relationship between Caesar and his mom, Bright Eyes, because we should have had that story instead of yes. this bullshit romantic story. <laughs> and they should have invested more in the relationship with the father and that storyline as well. And instead, with John Lithgow... Um, yeah, because that's that's the that's the meat of the story, right? The whole purpose of him developing the drug was really selfishly for his father, right? Yes, and, and I'm sure the CEO knew that, but uh, yeah, I guess he did know that. But his, the CEO says to him, which is an important line. It's a good line in the movie where he says, "Don't let your emotions uh, play like make good judgment or something or something like that." He says something along those those lines, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a good important line for his character and for the CEO. Um, but yeah, we, we need to spend more time with his father and develop that more. Leave the romantic story out of it. It's like there's no... That romantic story did nothing for his character at all. <laughs> no. Um, like, if, it, if anything, he was he, he kept, he was gatekeeping information from his soon-to-be wife, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, well, he was gatekeeping uh, information from her. It, true, yes. But even that, um, that pairing and that romance was borrowed from so many other movies as well now that i'm looking back on this there wasn't a lot that was original was there kind of yeah i mean not necessarily like definitely a romantic story or a love story in the biggest story is it's it's all like cookie cutter romantic story whatever and and they do they even do a time jump on the on the relationship right and they do that five-year time jump where caesar's were running up the the tree we go back to them as a couple we have to just believe that they've They've got strong chemistry now, and yeah, I mean we're going to get to that in the, in the recap as well. So let's let's keep moving um, with the plot here. Uh, Will's greedy and unethical supervisor Stephen Jacobs orders all twelve chimpanzees put down after Bright Eyes' rampage. But Robert mm-hmm. Franklin, uh, Robert Franklin, he's the CEO. The ch- oh, sorry, no, no, no. St- St- Stephen Jacobs is the ceo oh i can't anyway it doesn't matter yes <laughs> but robert franklin the chimp handler um responsible for carrying out this order can't bring himself to kill the infant and instead gives mm. it to will who names him caesar and raises him at home all right so we've established we've established like the main part of the plot here right mm-hmm. um robert franklin the chimp handler he has he has he has some skin on him you know, he has a little bit of thick skin because he had to put down all those other chimps, but then yep. he just couldn't do it to the last one. He said, like, I've, I've had enough, so he gives it to um, to James Franco, and he can't stomach it, so he just takes it into his his hands, his own hands. Which, look, I, I want to nitpick a little bit on this, and the reason why I want to nitpick on it is because... Why Why does James Franco care about taking a, an infant home? Like an infant monkey home? Or a chimp, I should say. 
I don't know. It, was it meant to be the, the feel-good, warm and fuzzy moment of the movie? Um, yeah. To try it's to easy to do that. Extend James's acting, sure, and being paternal. Yeah, but it didn't. <laughs> no, Caesar felt like a pet. Come on. Yeah, Caesar felt like a pet. Right. And, and even even though it goes against what his character was trying to tell Caesar, he's like, like when Caesar asks him, like, am I a pet? He says, you're, no, you're not a pet. Right. If you want to talk about paternal um, moments, the only one that I, I felt, I felt quite awful about this, but it was when John Lithgow and that Mustang moment crushes the cars in front of the house when he, 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 he doesn't know where he is. He's totally um, um, confused and disoriented. And Caesar comes out to defend him um, and protect him, and he hugs him. And that, that's actually quite I, a I love that moment. moment. Yeah, that's a very was. good moment between Caesar and, and the dad. Yeah, James kind of, with his dad, felt like he, he was largely abandoned as well. It wasn't like a... In fact, he felt like a burden to, to him too early in the piece i didn't yeah so i think the james character actually also kind of like realized the the potential of this drug and all of a sudden the dad, be, dad became a little bit irrelevant as well mm. yeah and you're you're right at that you're right about that we the film doesn't actually establish a strong relationship with his father and the get-go i think mm. it would have been important to spend way more time for him and his father together so we can really yes. feel that relationship and feel that care that why he's driven and motivated to create this cure for his dad but otherwise like you're right his dad feels like an inconvenience to him yep. and i can imagine like you know after that long relationship of trying to deal with his alzheimer's yeah you'll get tired you know you're human right you'll get tired and you get a little bit annoyed and it would feel like a burden sure. but he's still driven to find a cure but none of that's established at all no we got glimpses at the kitchen table or at the bedside that was pretty much it that was pretty much it but even at the yeah. kitchen table when you're talking about the moment where Caesar's at the table as well where he shows him how to use the yes. fork yes yeah I mean there's a little bit of concern but I mean do, I, I wouldn't you, I wouldn't have known that's his son you know no if, not if, at all if the movie had told me <laughs> having said all of this though what the hell was left on the cutting room floor I, I I'm I'm interested to see what was cut left in this do you think um, Strong possibility. I would be interested to know how much they've left out. Um, what what the final edit of this film was? So, mm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like four hours. Um, but if it was if it was four hours, how do you get to one hour forty five? That's crazy to me. I know. Look, <laughs> yeah, and we look. We're waiting for the CGI to do all the work on this as well. So, and even that. It, I mean, I was impressed by it. Didn't dazzle me though didn't dazzle me either. yeah the, the the cgi looks very aged in this movie mm. after watching it last night i was like oh the cgi looks pretty rough yeah. pretty rough all right okay so over the next three years caesar inherited his mother's high intelligence due to the drug thus learning at a fast rate caesar is able to learn sign language with the help of will and a veterinarian named caroline Ar Aran Aran Ar mm. I'm just going to say it right now. Will also, Will also gives a sample of ALZ-112 to his father, Charles Rodman, who is suffering from Alzheimer's disease. At first, his father improves, but five years later, his body's immune system develops antibodies that fight off the virus 
and his dementia returns. In his state of dementia, Charles gets into a car and attempts to drive it as the key was carelessly left in the ignition. He presses the gas and hits the cars in front of him and behind him, getting attention of an ill-tempered neighbor, Douglas Hans- Hansiker, who threatens Charles. Yep. The asshole. Yep. Yeah. The asshole. The asshole of the movie. Hey, always there, yeah, sure. Caesar is alerted to the situation of the attacks, biting Hun- uh, Hansikers. <laughs> is it Hansikers? Okay. I think it's Hansikers. Hansikers finger off. Brutal scene, by the way. Um, in Charles' defense. After the incident, Caesar is sent to San Bruno Primate Shelter, run by John Landon, which is played by mm-hmm. Brian Cox, the late Brian mm-hmm. Cox, by the way. Where the apes are held in cages, except during intermissions, where they are released into a jungle-themed play area, or the common area, or gen pop in jail terms. (laughs) The apes inside the facility are treated cruelly by Landon's son, Dodge, aka Malfoy, Uh who works as a guard there. Alright, what are you... Sorry, I'm burping. Okay. Sure, no. Clever. Um... Okay, he, Caesar was transported there in something that, that looked like uh, an ambulance. Didn't know that Animal Rescue sort of like had that sort of facility available. But the actual compound itself um, borrowed on the original 70s movies. In the original 70s movies, the sets were deliberately designed to look like a zoo. Um, and in the original seventies movies, in the yeah, absolutely, yeah, they, they were purposely designed to look like a zoo. So, in, in real actual fact, I mean, we were actually in a in a like a zoo enclosure, and, and that's I, I, I kind of get the same sort of like feeling. Everything was fake, including the murals of uh, the outside uh, world in the enclosure. That was something that I could have expected. I, I'd, I'd see something like this at the RSPCA or. Um, yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah, it's um, a jail without being a jail, really. Yeah, it's a jail without, without being a jail. It, mm. Again, like for us, get it, for us getting up to this part of the story. If I, I when I got to this part of the story last time, I was thinking, wait, how, what, how did we get to this already? This <laughs> feels like we've jumped so mm. quick to this point, and I swear the movie hadn't even like. Um, hadn't even geared up in enough speed to really get to this point. Like we'd jump through like major plot points, right? And those major plot points are like Bright Eyes dying, Bright Eyes being pregnant, yep. Bright Eyes having a, a son, Caesar, and then Caesar getting nurtured um, by James Franco's character, and then we get properly introduced to his dad and then, and his dad has Alzheimer's. It's like, there's so much stuff we've just breezed through without sure. developing any of that stuff. And we had two slightly antagonistic scenes. One was the one with the, the car crashing with John Lithgow and the other was walking through the forest and the barking dog. And it was almost like, this is the first time that this has ever happened. And after that, away you go. We're locking you up, sort of thing. And that was it. I like, think that, it was like quite unjust for Caesar's character. I don't yes. think Caesar's character really earned being in jail or like zoo jail or whatever that early in the film. 
I mean, <clears throat> sorry, I should say in terms of like runtime, he shouldn't really be yeah. in jail this quick in the film because, of course, like you know, once once an animal is like gonna attack someone and <laughs> like sever their finger, <clears throat> of course, like um, yeah, put them in animal jail. But it was so quick in the film where it happened. I thought I was like, what? This is like. I feel like this is something that should happen way down the line, and then maybe yeah. a final act is that is that breakout and the, like the 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 jail break scene or the prison break scene. Um, it it's kind of the third act, but it's not long enough. I think it was rushed pretty quick for mm. Caesar to do his thing to like go to all the <laughs> different apes and like rally them. It's like I want to talk a lot more about that once we get to the recap. Go uh, back, recap. escape, collect some canisters, let them off. I guess they That's had to crazy. do it in a confined space, okay? That's fine. But I would have liked to have seen this done in a zoo. Like a, a proper zoo. Um, this was just too, uh, well, cruel in a way as well. Um, and that moment of resentment between Caesar and James Franco, um, where Caesar decides he's not going back. Because yeah, um, he feels quite neglected. Yeah, like that. That to, that to me felt. I, I didn't think he was intelligent. I thought he was just throwing a tantrum. Um, yeah, and, and and this is this is I guess some of the issue with um the way it's the childlike. It is childlike. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he yeah he wasn't that kind of figure. This is where I guess some where I have issues with the way the character is presented in different scenarios where it doesn't make sense for Caesar to be like that because Caesar is quite intelligent he's quite mature even at the age that he was he was quite mature and he'd already shown signs up until that point of him being quite mature and intelligent mm-hmm. and then but it, this kind of harks back to me wanting to see that relationship between james franco and caesar a lot more because we've we literally jumped like three years and five years and like all right where's that relationship gone it's like i i don't I don't see and feel that connection between him and Caesar. I know this. I know the movie's trying to show it to us, <laughs> but sure. we've we've skipped out so much, and they could have covered that. Um, Was it a all of these points Yeah, a total disconnect. I, I didn't get that either because at that point, I I did not like Caesar as as a. As, as a well, I was going to use the word rational, but I know he's Simeon. He's and it's very primal you know his emotions should have been more than just you know hot cold hungry sleep i expected more so you're right you're right yeah didn't spend enough valuable time i think there mm. anyway i'm gonna get into this part of the recap um so we can continue here um at the primate facility okay that's mm-hmm. what it's called okay or should we just call it like the animal jail <laughs> At the primate facility, Animal Jail, Caesar starts out being treated treated poorly by the Dodge. Oh, sorry, by both Dodge and other apes, mm-hmm. particularly the dominant chimp Rocket. Despite this, Caesar manages to form a friendship with Maurice, a former circus orangutan who also knew sign language. Later, okay, wait, hold on, hold on, real quick. <laughs> Is it me just being like too picky, or? Or am I right about the, about saying this? Why does Maurice know sign language? I understand it's a... Okay, I understand the circus performer, but 
is that just convenient for Maurice just to have sign language? Because because to me, when I saw Maurice doing that to Caesar, first of all, how does he, how does Maurice know that Caesar would be able to interpret that? Second, like, isn't the sign language stuff a byproduct of of apes being super intelligent because of this like L A L Z one one two? Am I sh- am I right? Is no, no, this the. This was a very special, and seemingly it would be a bloody expensive ape as well. I don't know what it would be doing there. It should be back in a lab or or the intent of training it to actually have conversational fluency via sign language um, would mean it's th- that placement, totally inappropriate. Yeah, More inappropriate. That, that, that was my next point, was like, why is Maurice in there, if that's the case? I don't know, but there was a couple of scenes where... Caesar had his back turned while Maurice was doing sign language, mm-hmm. and yet he could hear him speak. It's like, <laughs> no, he had a sense. He had a, he had a sense, man. Apparently, he had yeah. A sense, so, you know, <laughs> we, 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 was that a thing? Was it like part of it? I, I don't think no, so. No, right. No, no. It's, that was it's, just it's an of, accident, right? It's one of the many unexplained things in this film. Um, uh yeah so anyway like i i kind of had a bone to pick when i was like wait why does why does the orangutan communicate to caesar did we is maurice supposed to be like another ape that was or sorry orangutan that was also tested on with alz that we're later going to learn about but no i was wrong and it just seems odd and way too convenient for me all right so later here you go no, I think that was a copy of one of the apes that um, actually uh, did um, communicate with sign language. I think the name was Coco. Um, oh. Yeah, so it could have been adapted to that, something familiar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Later, Dodge brings some visitors to the facility. Without caution, the male visitor moves too close to Caesar's cage and is grabbed by Caesar, having his pocket knife unknowingly stolen. Later, Caesar ties the pocket knife to a stick and uses it to unlock the door and free himself. He goes into play den, into the play den where he frees Buck, a large male gorilla, gaining his respect and friendship. Caesar, with Buck at his side, lures Rocket into the exercise area where he, where he hits Rocket over the head with a metal gasoline canister but doesn't uh, but doesn't no harm, est- establishing his dominance over the apes in the facility. Later Caesar steals cookies from the dog uh, from Dodge and gains Oh, sorry, and gives them to Rocket. Though tempted to eat them all, he, ins- he instead gives them to the other apes. Caesar gains respect of and companionship over Rock- uh, of Rocket and the other apes. Later, Caesar tells Maurice's reason for making Rocket cheer. Apes alone weak, apes together strong. I remember that became like a, a bit of an internet meme for a while. Apes yes. together strong. <laughs> However, pointing to several apes behaving foolishly, Maurice states, "Apes stupid," <laughs> which unknowingly gives Caesar an idea. All right, okay. So, so there's a lot that ha- that Caesar does in this uh, part of the recap. He does a lot. Like he's he's you know he's a go getter. He's showing that he's going to be a leader at some stage. He's showing leadership skills. He's hey. showing that he's respectable, and he. He also demands people's respect, so that this kind of character building for his for his character is great. The only issue I have with it, well, not the only issue, but the issue I have with this, it's too rushed. It's like it's going too quick. Yeah. Yep. And on top of that, 
he becomes a strategist as well. Look, yeah. For, for, yeah. For what? He has a handful of primates and he's going to take over a city. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. Yeah, that's crazy. Like mm. that, that's that's when we get into the third act, and I'm kind of like, "What? This doesn't make sense. How did we get from, how did we get from like all these apes being in an enclosure, to then uh-huh. taking over the city? That's wild. Where are all the, where are all the like police and FBI and SWAT? <laughs> they all come in way later. We were all were later. helpless, just totally all helpless. Super helpless, overwhelmed. Which is which is probably the point that Rupert's trying to make here, and the writers are trying to make is that like um, it got out of control so quick that we just had no line of defense, which I think is mm. kind of bullshit because I'm pretty sure the national defense would have been on top of this, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but see, a lot of this, a lot of this part of the plot just moves so damn quick that I'm kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're learning so much about Caesar here. Can we just slow it down a little bit? Let's just, if we're gonna spend any time, because the movie hasn't really spent good, valuable time in any of the major plot points, this could have been a good opportunity to spend more time with Caesar and the apes. And and I know this is foreshadowing for the for the next few, few films and i think in the from memory the next few films does a, a lot to pick up all that great relationship building with the other apes that's cool no problem with that but mm-hmm. for this particular movie if that's gonna be the foreshadow for it man spend more time on it spend 30 minutes on it don't spend five minutes but <laughs> would not this even was that. this was also the problem with the tim burton movie it started out in the first 20-30 minutes, being a little bit cerebral, um, feeling a bit lukewarm with the characters, that's fine, but then it just transcended into this mindless action movie. Oh. Yeah, it was just all cool. guns and destruction and... Yeah. Maybe I should watch it, I like action. I honestly can't even remember. I honestly can't remember. But is it worth revisiting? Do you think I should? Um, I've never sort of like wanted to. I think the other movies are far better. Um, Okay, well, I I mean, I'm definitely going to finish off the original, the OG Planet of the Apes. Um, But, uh, like, and I also didn't even realize it's a massive film series, the Planet of the Apes. So there's like Escape, what is it? Escape of something, Planet of the Apes? It was Beneath the Planet of the Apes was the second movie. And that was a direct sequel. Um, Clever characters, a little bit of Vietnam there, quite violent as well. Um, Interestingly, the first movie, 68, was probably, it was actually rated G and it featured nudity, which had... Never actually. I don't know how True. they got that across. Um, because the only it's other not movie full on nudity though. You're talking about the scene in the beginning where it's they more than implied swim, right? though. Oh yeah, yeah there's nails and everything, yeah, yeah. and that sort of. Um, the only other movie that featured nudity that that age. Well, I think that was a biblical movie at that time, and uh, that outweighed the the actual connotation um, of, mm. the, of the the implied nudity or whatever else. Right. So. Um, yeah, and the th- look, the third movie back then, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, I, that was probably Apes, yeah. my favourite. My favourite. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I got I got films to look forward to from yeah. the sixties. Man, okay. Well, I got to get on top of that, right? And all yeah, the things that you are bemoaning now about this movie and the relationships, it covers. You're gonna, you will find them so much. So done in so many better ways and in so many uh, ways. Yeah, great. 
and we it, should look, have reviewed that. <laughs> we're looking at 1971, yeah, 72. 70s, yeah. Then, very simple. Um, but the starkness was still there, that apocalyptic type of um, foreboding, still there. Didn't get it in this movie. No, no. no Rise no, didn't no. have that looming until we got the 12th monkey sort of like thing at, at the yeah. end. So. I mean, this, this is this is the one thing that this movie probably, I feel like, is trying to set out to achieve, but it doesn't achieve that anywhere. Like, no. it's not even close. If it's trying to be apocalyptic, like, you don't feel that. It just feels like you're just getting outbattled by a bunch of apes that's all it feels like (laughs) Like it doesn't feel like a world damaging scenario and it's weird because i think when we get to the second film Mm -hmm. like in the second film it's like we start off in an post-apocalyptic world i'm like what wait hold on (laughs) that's that's what i like I i don't remember the second film very vividly but i remember when that film opens up we're pretty much in post-apocalyptic world i was like wait how did we get from like san francisco not uh, even fully get run over even at the end of this film rise of planet of the apes it's not fully run over you still it's still salvageable and then you jump into the second film it's like it, they've completely taken over it's like and the humans are right. in hiding like okay whoa what a jump now the same thing happened with i am legend okay and the which, and the, the it's uh, previous uh, the, the, the that it was remade from the the Amiga Man, um, which also starred Charlton Heston. Okay, so I Am Legend was based on the same movie, but we were we were already immersed in a and that there was a quickening that occurred. Everything fell to pieces, and now we were in um, like The Walking Dead. We moved into um, the whole world ending. It, it, mankind was over. But it did it so much better, so much better in so many ways. Yes, the, the, this movie didn't feel like that at all. No. Um, all right. Okay. So, meanwhile, at the laboratory, Will creates a more powerful uh, virus called ALZ one one three. Brilliant. We went from one one two to one one three. So we created one <laughs> <laughs> to further treat his father. New tests begin on ten chimps um, with more with more later taken from the san bruno facility the drug strengthens the intelligence of the apes but is unknowingly fatal to humans while testing the alz 113 on a scarred bonobo named koba um mm-hmm. the letter the letter manages to expose franklin to the new virus who then begins sneezing blood as a result later franklin is found dead in his apartment will discovers the dead deadlessness of the virus or deadliness <laughs> deadliness of the virus and attempts to warn jacobs but jacobs insists on proceeding with the tests most notably cobra um angered with with jacobs will quits his job at genesis Caesar eventually escapes from the primate facility and travels to Will's house where he steals some canisters of airborne strain ALZ-113 and returns to the facility, releasing it throughout the cage area um, and enhancing the intelligence and mental capabilities of himself and his fellow apes. Mm-hmm. The next day, he examines the apes and realizes they are evolved apes like him. With his people now more intelligent, Caesar begins to put another plan into action. That evening, Dodge notices Caesar in the play area where he is supposed to be. Actually, I, I kind of like this moment 
where Dodge looks at Caesar and the rest of the apes are all crowding him and like in congregation, like an assembly, right? And Caesar's saying something and the apes are going, they're making noises, right? They're going, oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. oh, and then Caesar does that small look, a uh, turn, turn around. That's creepy. That's a very, very creepy, sinister moment. Yes. And, and just that shot on, on Caesar, I was, I was ready to turn on Caesar <laughs> just, just because it was a good shot. It was a nice, like slow mo turnaround, and it, and it looked like he was building a evil cult, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if like Rupert was trying to go for that, but that's the feeling I got. I was like, "Wow, this is a bit of a deviation." <laughs> but yeah, yeah. In some ways, it almost felt like there was actually two directors doing this movie. It's true, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense, actually. Probably, uh-huh. maybe two directors. There might have been some interference. You, usually, with like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know Rupert why it's um, track record, but let, let's say he was a, he was a good filmmaker, right? And um, and then he makes this kind of anomaly, in his uh, <clears throat> and amongst all the good films that he's done, it's usually because the studio, once again, the way the producers want to like micromanage a little bit, and there's a lot of things that they have to chop off. Like I know that happens a lot in film, um, but yeah, you're right. It did. It does feel like there's two different directors, and it feels mm-hmm. it feels so janky. Like the movie mm-hmm. feels quite janky. Um, <clears throat> okay, so. The apes, uh, no, no, no. When Dodge tries to, okay, um, that evening Dodge notices that Caesar playing play area not supposed to be there. Um, when Dodge tries to get him back into the cage, Caesar shocks everyone by speaking for the first time, yelling, "No!" Was that a good Caesar impression? That was pretty good. I, I like. I'll give you. <laughs> you pause. You pause. Okay. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Sorry, mate. You're right. Um, and I, no, I was just trying to think of a moment where that was played in the um, the original series as well. When they, when the, I know that was. Uh, is, is that a moment? John that Heston. In the it, it, it is when he he after his his shot in the um, in the neck and he gets his voice back and everybody recoils in fear. Um, that that I I felt more emotion in that when he. Because of his frustration at not being able to actually form a word, um, yeah. But in this moment, yeah, yeah, sure. We were kind of expecting it, I guess. It wasn't. It was pretty underwhelming, actually. Yeah, for it, me, it was quite underwhelming because I, I don't think we really, we truly earned getting to this moment. Because <laughs> no. because things were so rushed. Um, the development of his character was so rushed. All the things that he was doing, yeah, there were good things, but it was just, it was too quick. And then we, yeah. then we get to the moment where he says, no, it's like, oh. But, but to, and to me, at that moment, he sounded like a teenager, sort of like being upset about being grounded for the, the day in that moment. Oh, you mean the way he delivered like the no? Gen- yeah, it no. wasn't like a you know general. And he had a small stature as a, he looked mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a, a monkey-sized um, primate. It wasn't like a. He, he, he didn't have that um, stature or or physical build um, at that moment. So it, I don't know, it didn't connect in the same way for me. Yeah, I I, I, feel, I feel like this moment should have de- it deserved 
to have a better launch pad, so to speak. Yeah. It deserved to have a better ramp, you know. And that ramp was is is a bit of a wonky ramp. With yes, because <laughs> you know it's, it's, we didn't really earn our moment to get up to this because it, it feels like the way it's shot. It feels like it's it's so monumental, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, especially you know, where they're good it camera was, work. It was a lazy location as well. I don't, if that was part of the mechanism because the CGI and the stop-motion photography and whatever else had had to have it in a static sort of like location, I don't know. But it, that also felt like there should have been more action going on at the time um, and more interaction with the other primates as well. Um, and there, there is that is what what actually happened in that moment is faithful to the original story of Caesar as well. So it's a bit of a like rebelled. nod. Yes, yeah. Um, but in, in the original series, uh, in the original uh, movies, it was later that um, uh, primates were actually, because the, the, uh, the virus killed all cats and dogs, primates became the preferred pet. And they learned human mannerisms as a result. And then they were engaged in, um, in, in work. So humans became a little bit lazy and used apes as a convenient for servitude, waitering, basic oh. functions. And then Is that the why first we have ape... all those like uh, paintings of of apes and chimps yes. in like monkey suits, or they yes. call them monkey suits, right? But that's like the morning suit and the evening suit, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then the first primate said, "Out of the word, no." Really? That, Wait, this is the a back, true story. That is the this backstory. Is that's the backstory of all of this. So, Wait, but, but is that a true story? No. No. The true is in like... <laughs> As in like it happened in real life? We're not talking about that, right? River, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, wait, no. a chimp so, said no in real life? Did I, did I just say that? That was... No, sorry. I totally... <laughs> I in totally the f- uh, got lost there. I thought you were talking okay. about like a real story. I was like, what? Yeah, I was good. I was good, right? Okay. No, the 70s movies, that was how it was actually explained. The, the first um, primate uttering no against humans. And this should have been the moment as well because it was revered. And again, that was the Moses-Jesus uh, moment. It should have been Sermon on the Mount sort of thing. It, it should have been biblical, but it, yeah, it, but it, it wasn't. wasn't. No, but funny and love, funny, funny enough that the the camera work is quite good in this moment where he says no, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's missing, it's missing the meat, it's missing the meat. But that meat needed to have a good ramp, like we're saying. Yeah, before. if you, if you put somebody like Tim Roth in that role at that moment, it would have translated so much more Shakespearean than anything else. It would have been brilliant. It would have been brilliant. We love Tim Roth on this podcast. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Caesar then knocks out, uh, knocks Dodge out, and puts him in a cage before freeing the other apes. The apes witness the remaining watchman, Rodney, looking or locking. Sorry, wait, Rodney enter and start beating him until Caesar stops them because Rodney was kind to the apes instead, locking Rodney in a cage. Uh, Dodge then wakes up and Caesar sprays him with the hose while his electric um, cattle prod is turning on, killing him when he attempted to attack Caesar again. You were yeah. going to say something? No. Uh, no. In the moment with the hosing, 
it, yeah. that featured heavily as a way of um, it was a very sadistic scene um, in the 70s movies and th- so that was also used in oh, the same that, that way happens. okay gotcha yeah and you it, it's uncomfortable because you're, you're sitting in wet straw as humans you should have felt yep. the same sort of discomfort as a, a primate sitting in wet straw as well but right yeah, the, like the direction here doesn't really lean towards that way. But yeah, right. it, it could have got a little bit more hands-on, I think, with the directing. Um, Caesar then releases Buck and the other apes escape to the facility. Caesar divides his forces in two, with his group making their way to Genesis as he knows some of the shelter apes, including Lucky and Cornelia, are there. Meanwhile, Buck releases the apes at the San Francisco Zoo, successfully leading an escape of hundreds of apes through the streets of San Francisco terrorizing the city. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. Did I miss something here? How did Caesar know that Lucky and Cornelia were in the lab? I have no idea. Now you've mentioned that, I have no idea. They don't, they don't touch I, on that, right? No, I don't think there was um, any explanation sort of... Or any, any obvious realization exchanged at the moment when he was taken away. Yeah, because like when he the uh, he only breaks out of the facility once to get the yes um the what do you call it? ALZ one one three, but he gets mm. it from the house. He doesn't get it from yes. the lab. Uh, does he go back later and does he pick go up to the lab more? at all? I, I don't I know. Think he does. Yeah, but oh, what? I don't know. I feel like I've missed that. Either I missed it, or we both missed it, or it's not even in the film. Yeah. Because that doesn't make any sense. Like, why was he... Why did he go to Genesis to break out Lucky and Cornelia? <laughs> Whatever. And, and Cornelia ends up being his wife, right? Or, like, uh, is that Is that the one? Yes. In the future? Because in the original movies, Cornelius was the husband. Cornelius. Ah, yes. oh, yeah. Wait. Okay, wait. I'm jumping ahead here. Is Cornelius the son of Caesar? No. Um, yeah. No, I thought that was Milo. In the original movies, his name was Milo, named after the scientist that travelled with them. Oh, okay. Back, so we're see- wait, time, yeah. where, where's Caesar in the original stories? Um, in the original, he came. Uh, he was born in Escape from the Planet of the Apes and exchanged with a primate by a sympathetic uh, circus owner. Oh, Played by okay. Ricardo oh. Monteblain, who did a great job with it. He was very good. Wait, so so Caesar, uh, so, okay, so Caesar in this universe is the, he's the OG ape. In yes. this universe here, Rise, Rise yes. of Planet Apes, but he's not yes. the OG in the original stories. No, it's it, it's different. They 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 played with the storyline quite a lot with the the, the new series of okay. movies. Okay, so so did yeah. they? Oh. This is going to go into a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, um, so, so they in the in the old ones in the old apes movies, they didn't have an origin story for the, the apes. Yes, they did. It was Planet of the Apes. Uh, no, the origin story, as in like how they ended up infiltrating the same way that they do in Rise of the Planet Apes. So, like this is the origin story of. Yeah, it wasn't actually. Was there, was, new? there was no virus. There was nothing like. There was no augmentation of apes. Um, right. This was like a full, almost like evolutionary uh, change that happened within um, years or decades or whatever. It was nothing. Oh, yeah. And, and these movies, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, are trying to 
tell a new prequel to that? Yes, they are. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ah, okay, that's that's fascinating. I thought this was like the the canon for the Planet of the Apes stories. I guess not because there was no stories prior to this anyway. This is all film recreation. Yeah, look, the, the probably the most act, the, the 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 movie that was probably closest to the original book was probably the Tim Burton um, version. Mm. Um, yeah, it, and the, the first ba- uh, Planet of the Apes as well with um, Mac the first Batman. 68. <laughs> um, Planet of the Apes '68. Yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. Anyway, back again. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the recap. Uh, but yeah, that, that was just a interesting thought. The apes then use a trolley to head for their next target, the Golden Gate Bridge. They mm-hmm. plan to cross the bridge to get to Mirrorwoods, but are forced to battle a police blockade on the bridge. The most useless police blockade ever. Um, uh, Caesar, <laughs> Caesar, realizing something is up, stops his army and launches a three-pronged plan. <laughs> most of the chimpanzees, <laughs> guided by... Oh, man, jeez. Uh, reading this just kind of sounds a little bit ridiculous because of what the end product is in the, on, in the film. Uh-huh. Uh, guided by Cobra, bypass the, the blockage... A blockage by traversing the bridge's high wire supports. Mm-hmm. The orangutans, mm-hmm. <laughs> the orangutans, and some of the chimpanzees led by Maurice bypass the blockade by traveling along the bottom supports. The gorillas and several other chimps, headed by Caesar, Buck, and Rocket, confront the blockage directly, going straight across the bridge. Caesar has the gorillas push a bus in front of the police bullets and steals a police horse. Caesar orders his army to attack, resulting a fierce battle. Despite the advanced weapons, the police are defeated by the apes. However, Mm. Jacobs arrives in a helicopter and police chief John Hamill uh, begins gunning down the apes before setting sights on Caesar. Buck sacrifices himself to save Caesar by jumping into the helicopter. This causes the helicopter to crash into the bridge, killing everyone except Jacobs, who was trapped in the wreckage. Cobra seizes his chance for revenge and sends Jacobs falling to his death into the bay below. Most of the apes survive the battle and escape to Mirror Woods. Okay. Yes. I guess this whole action sequence on this Golden Gate Bridge... It's exciting. There's a lot of energy, but it's, it's a King Kong, Kong moment. Ridiculous. It's the King Kong <laughs> moment, right? It is the King Kong moment. Yeah, there, where there is a lot of carnage going on, and um, it, like all the humans are a little bit helpless. Uh, they have no idea what they're doing. The, the, my problem with this scene is that the humans are pretty dumb. All of a sudden, like we don't know how to do things, right? All of a sudden, we don't know how to be police officers. We don't know how to shoot rockets. We don't. We don't <laughs> They're sort of treated quite stupid. Um, just can't, can't fly helicopters. Can't fly helicopters. Yeah. yeah, just just so the apes have their moments. Um, and for the apes to have their moment, yeah, I get that. But we've rushed through the development of the apes. We've like we even rushed the whole intelligence thing with the apes, right? And and I yeah. know that they they try and justify this by. Um, dialogue exposition they try and say oh we've come up with an advanced drug <laughs> it's okay sure convenient yeah do you come up with the advanced drug and so now they they have an intelligence that's up to speed with caesar and then caesar's supposed to be more advanced than them 
<sighs> it's I, I don't buy and it. They augment <laughs> almost overnight as well. They yeah exactly. They are that exactly. smart overnight. But but the, you look, know, you're, you're supposed to believe that because it's an advanced drug. But I don't sure. believe it. it's too rushed. Too rushed. And the whole issue as far as uh, trying to contain the situation in the forest, a little bit of carpet bombing could have kind of like got things under control again, like pretty quickly. But we never visited what happened later. And it wasn't until the second movie where there was tr- there was an attempt at negotiation to live in harmony with humans. And we, we never even got to the, the possibility or hope of that. Um, yeah, and that, that's where it should have been. You know, there, there's an opportunity here to fit another movie in between the first and the second movie oh, as well. Absolutely. To tie everything absolutely, up. Absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a huge gap and it kind of like leaves you wanting. Hence the cutting room floor situation again. So yeah, yeah. anyway, coming back to that whole runtime issue, really. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Will steals a police car and follows the apes. Arriving at the forest, he calls for Caesar until he is suddenly attacked by Cobra. However, Caesar stops the angry b- bonobo before he can do any more harm to Will. Will then warns Caesar that the humans are strong and could do serious harm to him and his people. He promises to protect Caesar if he only comes home where it is safe caesar looking upon his followers and now being capable of basic human speech hugs will and informs him caesar is home and will looks at him in amazement and surprise I, I i appreciate james franco's i'm gonna say attempt to have a like surprise reaction but it doesn't last very long like he, no. he reacts to it and he kind of just goes alright but like okay you should go then like he literally says yeah. okay go <laughs> can we can we talk about this you know <laughs> yeah it's not, he doesn't, it's, he doesn't, it's not me it's you you know <laughs> it's yeah, kind absolutely. of crazy it's, it's like um, I know they've they've rushed so much shit in this film but then even get to get to this moment, he has this like slight glimpse, like it's a window, it's a window where he reacts to Caesar saying Caesar is home, but then instantly just just kind of moves away from that reaction, and then goes, okay, go. <laughs> that you know, I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, text me, right? So text me, like, <laughs> yeah. Tag me, that, tag me in your Instagram post, and and that's where I feel like. It, that movie was it set up deliberately kind of like okay that's it it's standalone there's not going to be any more of them but look what happened well i mean i guess it was deliberately set up so that we could get to the real story which is when caesar has is starting to take real leadership and control over the mere woods and have that separation to the humans but sure but we're missing that story and we're missing tons of stories here in the first one Okay, so we and we went into ape utopia because that's that's how the whole forest thing sort of like felt. But yeah, I, I yeah, I'm just kind of like it's a bit of a jump. Missing. Man, the jump, the jumps are insane in this movie. <laughs> the jumps are insane, uh, and then the jump from this movie to the next one is absolutely insane. It's like we've missed out so much story there. Did I say this was the the second best movie in the? Because um, yeah. now I'm doubting myself like a lot. Well, I mean, I mean, this is this oh, is no. the beauty about going through doing doing the recap in this podcast is that we, we dive so deep in that we have to then 
make honest men of ourselves when it comes to really looking at these films. Yeah, um, I'm guilty. Yep, absolutely. All right, so we're almost pretty much at the end of this recap. This plot, the surprise will give Caesar his blessings, and Caesar gives her the assurance that he will be safe with his army of apes. The apes make way uh, for Caesar as he climbs the top of his favorite tree, where he is joined by Maurice and Rocket and adjacent trees, and look over San Francisco, observing the chaos they inflicted. The mid-credit scene reveals that Han Hansika. <laughs> who had been infected with the virus carried by a now deceased Franklin is a pilot. As he walks into the airport, he notices his nose bleeding, but paying no attention to it. A flight board, uh, a flight board transitions to a flight map showing a single flight leaving San Francisco. When the, um, when the graphic, when the graphic touches, uh, France, the graphic shows air route routes branching out of the, uh, from France to cities near and far around the world. Each of these destination graphics branch out to the cities across Europe and Asia as flight paths uh, cover the earth, showing the spread of simian flu in which human population is disseminated. All right. I remember seeing that mid credit scene in the cinema. Yeah. I totally forgot about that mid credit scene, and I haven't even seen that since the cinema. Right. But this, this is a fitting... <laughs> ending to the recap because it's just their way of rushing through how the how the virus went around the world it's kind of crazy to me actually it's true but it was my favorite part of the movie right um, okay because it, all of a sudden it, it kind of made sense for the original and again i'm living i'm comparing yeah. it to what was but and this, and that was the twelve monk twelve monk monkeys moment again yep. here. Yeah. And but I enjoyed that 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 part. And isn't mm. that a shame that it took me that long to sort of like feel as though we were getting somewhere with it with the storyline. Oh, um, no. Using an airline pilot to do it uh, convenient again, but why not? Yeah. Yeah. Could I mean, airborne could have been. Sure. And it makes sense for the virus to spread like rapid fire like that way. And then for the other simians to um, to get that same, not, it's not a flu to them, it's an enhancement for them. So what ends up being deadly for humans ends up being like advancement and development for apes. Um, and that is the end of the plot for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. Well, after getting through all that recap, uh huh. How did, how, is there any last things that you want to say about the last part of this film, which is when they go into the mere woods, um, they gather and they do this kind of like one moment where like, hey, hey. Yeah, know? no. Fell flat for me. Um, I would have liked to have seen uh, a lot more um, uh, development in, in how they were going to sort of like live together here in an area where there was no bananas for a start. I don't know what, <laughs> what they were going like, hey, to live on. I was like, we didn't, we didn't even get one feature of a banana in this movie. <laughs> yep. And did if I did see a movie, I'd, I'll be a monkey's uncle, okay? So, but there were none. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just thought of that. Anyway. Um, nice. Yeah. No, no, nothing at all. It fell flat. Um, it, 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 it was like they had to like lance it off like quickly and just end the movie. And then the second director, whoever was like doing it in the background, did the ending and the credits and the uh, 
the flight Probably. board and destinations yeah. sort of like and that didn't even feel like it was the same director again in in that instance so um but yeah it 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 not not even like a seamless sort of uh, aspect for the next movie either there was no um there was no real link with this it very much um another standalone so yeah well i, I mean it looks like we feel kind of the same about this i think we have very similar remarks and perspectives and opinions yep. about this movie maybe a couple of differences here and there but real quickly i want to i want to talk about some facts for this film right sure so this was one of the first movies to use motion capture in an on-location setting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's actually no, very interesting. Because that makes sense. Like Even all the, the Lord of the Rings movies, they very much popularized that whole medium of, uh, if you want to call it a medium, mocap, right? Mocap for short, motion yep. capture. Um, mm-hmm. All of that stuff was done on, on set. None of that was done on live location. From my memory, like right. if I watched what? the appendices of Lord of the Rings um, mm-hmm. or the BTS or the behind-the-scenes stuff, it was all on set, like inside you mean like a studio. A, yeah, was it? Yeah, green screen was part of any of this. Or? Yeah, oh, mm, yeah, a little bit of green screen, but okay. you know, mocap is is always like in this kind of so called mocap suit with dots all over them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always done in a studio um, or a studio set of some kind, but it was never done on location, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. That's a right. cool little fact. So not the first time for Andy Circus because he played Gollum, right? Yeah, he did mocap for right. Gollum. In the yeah. same, okay. Yeah. He's kind of known as the king of mocap uh, movement now, which is kind of cool. Um, this, is the, this movie is the first installment to feature another great ape species besides chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. Cobra, the scarred lab ape, and some apes at the Genesis and Sanctuary are bonobos. This species was assumed until very recently to be subspecies of chimp, explaining its absence in previous films. Did you mm-hmm. know that? No, because in the previous films, the orangutans were meant to have been the most intelligent of the species, or the the lecturers, oh. the philosophers, and um, in that genre. Okay, and, and just so, just so uh, you know, the listeners. Um, I clarified with this. No, it's really for mm-hmm. me. Um, is chimpanzee the species? Uh, for Caesar? No, like is 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 chimpanzee the species, the group species? I, I believe so. Yes, that is the species, right? Okay. Yes, because I never, never up until um, in this recent uh, decade or so, really uh, the 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 name bonobo um, has been mm-hmm. largely like absent with scientific references certainly wasn't right. in the first movies that's for sure mm. but yeah. they are the, the well, most closely related to human beings ah there we go mm. yeah you, yeah i know a lot of bonobos <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> there were long debates on whether or not caesar should bite off hunsaker's finger mm. rupert wyatt chose not to have the finger come off because he felt it would turn the audience against caesar too much yeah, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, like, he does he does bite off, but we don't we don't visually see the finger come off. Okay, that's pr- that's very primal as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I would have liked to have seen that. Might have altered the rating though. That level of violence. Yeah, yeah. That would Probably. that would have been pretty confronting. Yeah. Yep. And the guy would have lost his job as an airline pilot as well. It's true. At that time, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, although the climax of the film seems to have an awful lot of apes running around, running about San Francisco, Rupert Wyatt planned this based on a real populations on real populations of apes in America. Okay, interesting, and particularly a facility in San Bruno that houses seventy to eighty apes. Taking the entire country into account. There are approximately 3,000 great apes in labs across the U.S. that about 300,000 chimpanzees alone are found in the world, in the wild. That's crazy. 3,000 great apes is a lot, just in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So, so that whole last scene is, is really a reflection on some real-world stats, is, is what Rupert's trying to say. Um, or pretty loose. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a good justification to write into a story, but... Like you have to kind of, you know, you have to have a rational reason for the story itself, not outside of the story. <laughs> sure, but given the fact that the rest of the science with this was pretty mediocre, like okay, yeah, sure, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. Pretty shoddy science for sure. It's like the, a mm. lot of things in this movie were just so undercooked. A lot of the, a lot of what you would expect the important parts of the plot were just fully undercooked just in, like we ran through them it was wild to me and i think this movie really um was hurt because of its runtime um pff, this movie could have done for a lot and the reason why it feels long is because they cram so much story in mm. such a small space and they really do nothing with it yeah. <laughs> Apart I from agree. saying, all right, yeah, Caesar, Caesar is like this intelligent uh, human-like uh, animal out in the wild, and he's going to take over. He's going to have world domination. There you go. The end. Yep. But then, then they just became forest creatures. That was mm. pretty much it. That's as good as it got. I, the, the whole takeover process didn't happen until much later. So a lot, mm. lot later. No, no, not a little Okay, so I want you to give it a score out of ten. What is um, going to be your out of ten? You can you can oh, have a summary here, yeah. summarize, and then give us your out of ten score. So, uh, again, honestly, River, I'm I'm kind of I'm stuck because I I wanted better, and I and I even remember walking out of the cinema thinking. All right, it was good, it wasn't great, and I so much preferred In fact, I went home and went to watch um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes again um, because I, I had, yeah, and because I, 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 I felt so complete with, with those movies, um, much, much more. I, I was totally invested in the characters as well. So, look, I'll, I'll give it um, 7.3 if that's, yeah. Um, it was... And look, it was the first of the um, the new movies for ten years. Okay, so we were kind of like ready for something, and it, it came sort of like unexpected. There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of hype, but then again, there was a lot of hype with Tim Burton's movie as well. But it, his movie did did fairly well. I mean, it was you know pretty much tortured by critics, but it, it did okay. Um, and this movie did a lot better, I guess, maybe because of the the um, younger sort of like genre that it was meant to um, to sort of attract uh, a wider audience, maybe. Um, yeah, the the later movies. Um, oh, they had. I mean, they had very different settings as well. I mean, the last one was basically uh, filmed 
pretty much exclusively in a concentration camp, you know, like a Stalag 13 sort of, um, and that would have put a lot of people off, I think. That would have made them very uncomfortable in that respect as well. It did good. I still think that was probably the, the best out of the three, that movie. But we'll and, soon find again, out because we're going to be doing a review on them as well. Okay. And that was thanks to the characters, unlike mm. this movie. So there we are. 7.3, mate. All right. Well, okay. So I'm kind of the same, a little bit underwhelmed after seeing this again. But I'm glad, I'm glad I got to see this again. And I'm yep. like, I don't, I don't think this movie is terrible. I think this movie has the building blocks to be a great movie, but it just doesn't quite get it over that line. I think there are some writing issues. There's definitely some pacing issues in this. Um, yes. um, but the, you know, the, 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 the substance, the content in this is great. I, I do like Caesar. I would have loved a, a lot more development and their relationship with his, um, uh, what do you call it, foster father, James Franco. I would have loved mm-hmm. more of that time together. Um, I do like most of the characters in this. There's some characters that I didn't care for so much, like the CEO, for example. What's his name? Stephen Jacobs, mm-hmm. I think it is. I didn't care so much about for his, char- his character. Um, the love relationship, didn't care for that at all. Shouldn't have been in the movie. Save all that relation, love relationship time for something else. Mm. And it doesn't even do anything for his character or his girlfriend's character. They don't even grow at all because you just skip five years of that relationship. <laughs> so we don't see any yeah. growth in any of those characters. There's nothing earned in that respect. Um, if, if anything, they're just taking up valuable screen time. Totally. She, um, she could have been like a, a housekeeper or even a flight attendant or something, not a scientist, like. Uh, I think going to say she she should have just been a housekeeper or like doing the dishes yeah. or <laughs> is it, it didn't matter Do, doing the washing <laughs> isn't that awful I <laughs> some hey, people are going to be offended by that we're just stereotyping this person like oh, devaluing yeah. it down from but yeah, well, uh, you watched Barbie this. right you saw Barbie okay so well, uh, all right. unfortunately anyway. I did watch that movie. Um, yeah. No, not unfortunately. Look, I love watching movies. It, it doesn't doesn't waste my time. That's my. That's why I love doing this because I just love watching films. But that movie was terrible anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, like in the, in that respect, like this movie, it doesn't deserve anything too bad of a rating. So I think I would happily give it a six out of ten. Okay. No, t- totally okay. Yeah, I can see what you and, and and again, like what we sort of like spoke about. I would have liked to have seen this as a three-part movie series on TV. Um, I think that would have been just brilliant. And I, I would have sat there and watched the whole lot and, and looked forward to seeing the next installment, really. Yeah. All right, man. That's, um, that's it for this uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes review and oh, recap. Yeah. Um, we've done we've clocked two hours or just a little bit less than two hours. So we went to the length that we that I said that we wouldn't, but we ended up. But thanks for that, though. I, I got quite excited, especially being able to talk about the seventies movies as well, because that was something that's, that's cool. Um, it's a very yeah. cool insight to this to this episode. I, I think it's it, it actually makes me more excited to watch this for the the nineteen sixty eight version again, because because I'm not I'm not just going to touch. I'm not going to like start from where I finished last night. I'm actually going to rewatch the whole film again. Great. I'm pretty excited. All right. Just bear in mind, the second movie, it's not great, um, but it had a good script. Oh, don't say that to me. It, no, you can't, no, but, you can't give okay. me that impression. 
call me after, okay? <laughs> I'll walk you through it. But it, it had a great script. It, it, it was it was very well. It was great. It, it was very very good. So, but it was kind well, of. I'm probably not going to have time to watch that second one. I'll just watch the first one tonight, get, and then I'll go to the third one. Bells. Third one. Escape from the planet, just straight planet to the, the third, third one. Get straight to the third one. All right. <laughs> no, I'm interested. I, I, I was so invested into the story that um, the first one had. You know, the first 40 minutes were were great. They were riveting, riveting, and like I, I enjoyed it a lot. So, I want to rewatch from the beginning and then finish that, and then I'll give you my little review on that. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, okay, well, that being said, we, need, we should wrap this up. I'm taking thank up all you, your sir. valuable time. Um, but thank you so much for coming back on the show for this episode. Oh, thank you. Thanks um, for inviting me. Thank you. But we're going to have you again, right, for the next two Absolutely. and third one. So the so the next I'll one is going to be, what's it called? <laughs> what's the second one called? Dawn? It's called Dawn of the Planet Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Wrong titles for these movies, by the way, but whatever. Um, <laughs> sure. We will talk about that in that episode. Um, so make sure you stay in touch, listener. If you really enjoyed this 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 podcast, um, uh, hit the notification button. You see all our handles, our social media handles, and also our links to other listening platforms in the um I was going to say bio, but in the show notes, you can find all that information there. Um, until then, we will say goodbye to you, Rick, and we will say goodbye to you, the listener. Bye, everybody.